what do you say on the first Sunday of your church when you've had this dream for so long? And it's this really significant moment. I've been like, what do you say? So I've written a bunch of sermons and thrown them out. And, you know, uh, and then Jen hit me up the other day. She was like, what's the two things you want people to know? They never come back because some of you might not. <laughs> uh, what's the two things you just want people to know? So that's what I want to share. If I got hit by a bus tomorrow, here's the two things I'd want you to know about who God is. And then Jen's going to finish by sharing uh, just a little bit of, of uh, her story. But here's the first thing I'd want you to know. If, you ne- if I never saw you again, I'd want you to know this. God is love. God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, God is love. My, my suspicion from is that for most people in Napier and Hastings in the Bay region, I think most people probably believe there's a God, but I think they wonder whether he's good or not. I reckon that's the big question that people have got. Is he actually good? And the God revealed in Jesus says, yes, he is. He's good. In Hebrews 1, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of his being, of God's being. He's, you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And he reveals what Jesus, what God is like. And the more, now I've been a Christian. I, I actually don't know because my dad's an Anglican vicar and, um, you know, I got infant baptised. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. I got adult baptised. I got confirmed as an Anglican. I went to Bible. Like, you know, I just sort of feel like, I don't know when I became a Christian. It's sort of been a rolling mall since birth, you know. Um, but what's amazing is that I'm 36 at the moment and for However long, since I can remember, it's just been like discovering more of his goodness. And it's been discovering more of who, I've just been captivated by Jesus. I've never lost that. Like I've been in full-time ministry for 15 years. And through all the ups and downs of life and, and all the stuff of church ministry and all that, I just continue to be captivated by who Jesus is. In Jesus, we see water turned to wine. We see less turned into more. The blind see, the deaf Hear the lame walk, the dead live, the storm cease, Satan is defeated, the defiled are cleansed, burdens are lifted. Just keep on falling in love with him. And Jesus, the lowly are valued, the bound are free, the guilty get mercy. Fear becomes peace in Jesus. The wounds become well, shame becomes glory. The body becomes a temple, the enemy becomes a friend, the servant becomes a son, sinners become saints, the Spirit becomes our helper and God becomes our Father. He's good. And that's why I love that song as much as I've heard it. You guys, some of it's the first time you've heard that song, Your Love Remains, with the chorus, You're Good, Hallelujah, You're Good. Um, that was from our previous church in Christchurch where I was the worship pastor and I'm sick to death of that song on one level because I've heard it. I heard it when we're writing it and I heard it when we're recording it and rehearsed it a million times. And, you know. But Every time we hit that chorus, I actually get hit by something because the simplicity of that truth is so true. You're good. Hallelujah, you're good. He's a God of love. And, uh, and, and he's alive today. I'm convinced that he's love. When I was 21, I think, it was my last year of Bible college, uh, I had to go on a retreat for one week, for five days, a, a silent retreat at a monastery as part of our course. Now, some of you guys are like, that's your worst nightmare. You know, it's an outer ring of hell, just about a week of silence on a monastery. And that was pretty close to what I thought it was going to be like. I was like, oh man, this is going to be tough. And now this is before social media. This is how, you know, before all that. So I was like, I just took a stack of books and a really old IBM laptop. And I thought, 
I'm just going to read books and play on my computer, you know. Uh, and I turned up to this monastery on day one, and um, every day we had to meet with the spiritual director. And I thought, oh, you know. And on the first session on that first day, they, they gently challenged me, why don't you give it a good nudge and actually spend this week in silence with God and just see what he wants to say to you. And I felt like God speak to me in that moment. So I was like, okay. So we put the books aside and closed the laptop down. And it took me, a, I reckon, a day and a half or two days to decompress and just slow down. And it was a bit weird. But at, at about day two, day two and a half, I started experiencing the presence of God in a way that I hadn't, probably at a level I hadn't experienced before. And it just started building and building and it just didn't cease. It kind of grew. And you know how in church services or in life, you just kind of rush from one thing. So we have these moments like now where you encounter the beauty of his presence. And next minute we're on a bouncy castle eating pizza, you know? And it's like, but in that space, it was like, I just could linger and linger and linger and linger. And it just, it soon, it soon, the only way I can describe it is it felt like liquid. Like after a couple of days, about three or four days, it just felt like liquid, the sense of his presence and his love. And I was, you can tell I get emotional (laughs) easily, you know, blame my blinking jeans. Thanks mum and dad for that. But I was like this, just wandering around this weird little monastery in Auckland uh, next to this beautiful bay, and I just was overwhelmed with the sense of how loved I was. And I knew how naughty I'd been. <laughs> I knew all the, you know, I, I knew my humanity, even though I've grown up as a vicar's kid, I'd done heaps of dumb things. I knew it wasn't because of my goodness, it felt like grace. I just felt his presence just all over me. And I remember just, I was journaling in my, in my little monk room, <laughs> and I was just going, This is just crazy, God. I just can't believe how loved I am by you. It's just still one of the most formational experiences of my life. And I had this moment where I felt like God speak to me. Now, that sounds very grand. It felt like this, I don't know. It's just hard to describe what it felt like. But this impression, it wasn't an audible voice or anything. It's an impression. And felt like I was just sitting there at this little desk and I saw this little cup of water that I had that was half filled from the kitchen. And this is what I felt like God said to me. I said, Sam, that what you're experiencing of my love right now is like that little glass of water. But he's like, if you want to know how loved you really are, look out the window. I looked out the window and I saw the ocean as far as the eye could see. And like, I couldn't even imagine how many little glasses of water. And it was just like God was saying, oh, that's how much I really love you. Like that's like what you're experiencing now is so diluted and so little compared to the depths of my love for you. <laughs> I was just... and. All of a sudden, I, I started to understand Paul's prayer in Ephesians verse 3. And this is my prayer for us. And this is all, if I never see you again, I just want you to know that you're loved. And Paul prays this, church, this prayer for the church in Ephesus. And I prayed over us that we would have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, this is a very paradoxical statement, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know, a love that's, to, to know a love that's unknowable. The paradox of knowing something that's still just a glimpse of what it really is. Listen, so that you'd be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. What a line. And that's the journey of our lives, is that we would somehow know just how loved we are. And that's why we're here as, as a body of Christ in Napier, is to simply be a light on the hill that says to a whole lot of people that we've been here since July last year, there's a lot of hurting people in Napier. You know, we've been driving around and just we feel like God's giving us his eyes and his heart for these people in this, in this region. And all I want them to know is that they're loved by God, that he loves them. 
They know, most of them suspect he's there, but I want them to know he's good, that he loves them. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, is that in Jesus, true life is found. So the first point is that God is love. The second is this, that in Jesus, true life is found. One of my friends, a fantastic theologian pastor who lives in Tauranga, posted this on Facebook, and he was quoting this theologian, Ronald Rollheiser, from a book called The Shattered, Lan- the Shattered Lantern. And he, he quoted this, which I found fascinating. He said this, Because of consumerism, our lives become infatuated with the idea that unless we somehow experience everything, travel everywhere, see everything, and are a part of a large number of other people's experiences, then our own lives are small and meaningless. We become impatient with every hunger, every ache, every non-consummated area within our lives, and we become convinced that unless every pleasure we yearn for is tasted, we will become unhappy. We stand before life too greedy, too full of expectations that cannot be realised, and unable to accept that here in this life all symphonies remain unfinished. When this happens, an obsessive restlessness leaves us unable to rest or be satisfied because we are convinced that all lack, all tension, and all unfulfilled yearning is tragic. That's a pretty heavy quote for an opening of a church. But we live in interesting times. We live in the age of social media. We live at this time where information is on our fingertips. We live in this age of consumerism where today you'll be bombed with thousands of advertisements that say, if you don't have this, you won't be happy. And this is just ingrained in the consciousness, particularly of our young people. And there's this yearning for, to experience life. And, and with Instagram and Facebook and all this, it's like we feel like we're always missing out And there's this longing that we would live, truly live. And Jesus turns up and he says this in John 6 verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He says, he's saying, I am the bread of life. I am the one who can satisfy the kind of spiritual hunger and yearning for life that is in every single human heart. He satisfies. He's the bread. He's the, he's the water of life. Relationships, work, hobbies, sport. Somehow they're, they're perfectly fine things, but they, they always leave us with this feeling that something's missing if we're looking to these things to deeply satisfy us. In Jesus, we find deep satisfaction in communion with Him. And He invites us to a radically countercultural life that rejects consumerism and rejects self-centered living and invites us into something far more simple, far more deep, far more profound and far more rich in all the places that really matter. And the places that matter are in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. He invites us to slow down, to rest in Him, And to know, as Eugene Peterson explained in Matthew 11, the unforced rhythms of grace. This is what Jesus invites us to. Come to me, all of ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Perfect. For my yoke is uh, easy and my burden is light. This is, I'm so passionate about this. The Bible is, and Jesus was not just about what happened when you die. Let's maybe turn those off. Oh, Karen's not here. Um, the Bible isn't just about what happens when you die. The Bible, Jesus came to bring life now. The big prayer that he, he invites us to pray is, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm tired of the, the simplistic reductionist uh, 
some kind of thing of like, it's just about our souls going to heaven. It's not. It's about heaven coming to earth now and about us learning what it looks like to become fully alive in Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, right? The evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Let's start with the first three, love, joy, peace. The invitation of God is that we would experience more of those, more and more and more of His love and a love for others. Joy, like God wants you to laugh more. How cool's that? So subtle, Karen. <laughs> I love that you're trying to subtly turn it off. There we go. I just don't want to be too distracted. <laughs> Joy. I just, I just, I'm, I'm amazed that that's his invitation. The fruit of the Spirit is that we would be filled with joy more and more and more. Peace. How many of us don't have a satisfied mind or heart where it's just agitated and stirred up? Wouldn't it be awesome if God just continued to breathe His Spirit upon us and said, receive my peace, that your mind and your heart and your soul would just be at peace and rest in Him. Sign me up. This is just the first three. I can't preach on the rest of it. This is the first three. Love, joy, and peace. He wants that to be your predominant experience more and more and more and more. Everything that the world says where you will find life is a lie. Life is found with Jesus. And when you're in Jesus, all those other things start getting richer and more beautiful and find their proper place. But when He's actually Lord of your, of your life, He brings us to life. That has been our experience. I believe in a prosperity gospel. No one's going to come back now. But not of the money kind. I, don't, I reject that. We haven't got healthy, wealthy and all the rest of it. And it's been the opposite. But we've got more free, more, and life has got more rich and more beautiful in all the ways that really matter. And so I have a prosperity in my relationships with my family and my friends. And I have a prosperity in my relationship with God. And it's the richest life you could ever hope for. It's what really matters. And one day I'm going to see Him face to face. And He's going to bring the work that He's begun on me to completion. Hallelujah. But until that day, He's going to sanctify, He's going to transform me from glory to glory, bringing me to life because life is found in Jesus. So if I had to stand before you and say, here's the two things that I'd want you to know, it's simply this, that you're loved. Zephaniah 3.17, He rejoices over you with singing. That's how loved you are. He delights in you, not because of how good you are or how well behaved you've been or anything like that, simply because you're the work of His hands and He delights Himself in you. And life is found in Jesus. The closer you get to Him, the more you learn of Him and His ways. It's richer and more beautiful every single step you take. Through the pain, the suffering, the loss, it's still rich and joyful and peaceful and beautiful in every way. Before I hand over to Jen, I was going to say it's so beautiful that the next two Sundays are our Easter weekend for us because we're not doing a Friday service. So next Sunday, it's going to be Easter Friday for us. And uh, we're going to look at the cross. Billy Graham said, God proved his love on the cross when Christ hung and bled and died. It was God saying to the world, I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. The cross is the ultimate expression of how loved and precious we are to him. And Sunday, Easter Sunday, it's new life. Resurrection life. The next two Sundays are that you're loved and that there's life in Jesus. That's how we're starting this whole church Get to preach these two points and then we're just going to reinforce that for the next two Sundays as we go through Easter together as a church. What a perfect way to start a church. You couldn't have orchestrated it more beautifully as far as I'm concerned. What a primo start. And so that's what we're going to do next Sunday. It's all about the cross 
We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember the cross and we're going to allow it to shape and mold us once more. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate he's risen. He's risen indeed. And we're going to step into once more the life that we have in Jesus. Just before we finish, I'm going to invite my beautiful wife just to share briefly uh, something of his story. Good morning. So I heard about someone recently who grew up in a really strong, very loving, beautiful Christian home. And church was a huge part of their life when they were a kid. But now that they're an adult, they've decided not to go to church and not to make church something that their family does. And uh, the fact is, it's not that they've stopped believing in God. It's not that they don't believe Jesus is Lord. It's that they've been put off by church. They've been put off by the fact that they felt this huge pressure uh, to be the best behaved at church. And when I heard this, I just felt really sad. I felt deeply sad that that was their experience, that the pressure to be good, to be well behaved, had possibly cost them their relationship with God and definitely cost them their relationship with Christian community, uh, a community that could love and support them on their journey. But this story is pretty common We hear it all the time. And too often, we let the pressures to be without mistakes and without failures drive us away from God, make us hide from God. And as I was praying about it, I just had a burning in my spirit. And I really felt him remind me loud and clear that church is not about our good behavior. Church is about knowing a God who loves us regardless of our behavior. There's this girl I used to know, and when she was 17, she was passionate and arrogant and very independent, liked to make all her own decisions. And she had a very soft heart for Jesus. She talked to him a lot, but she also made a bunch of bad decisions that she knew weren't God's will for her life. And she had this Christian friend who just desperately wanted to get her back on track. And so one day he just blew up at her. He was sick of her behaviour and he just wanted to shake her up. And, and he yelled at her and he said, you're going to hell and you're sending your friends along too. And that was actually motivated by love because he desperately wanted her to make good choices and put God first. But it wasn't communicated in love. And so, of course, it had the opposite effect and it drove her away. And she decided that day not to go back to church. She was drifting away anyway, but she decided that was that. She was done with church for now. And so time passed, months passed, years passed, and it was 10 years before she was part of a church community again and really came back to God's heart. And that story is really close to my heart because that girl is me. And in those 10 years, I really missed Christian friends. I missed friends who could pray with me and support me and walk with me. You know, I missed having a youth group to point me to Jesus and remind me that he loved me even when I felt unlovable. I, I, um, I didn't have a faith crisis at all. I didn't stop talking to God, but my relationship with him definitely suffered hugely because it was years away from him and years away from his people and it was way out of his will for my life. But then when I found my way back, it was easier than I could ever possibly have imagined. And it was easy because there was Jesus right where I left him, full of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And 
Never once did I feel the sting of an angry father. Instead, I felt the joy of a father reunited with his daughter. It didn't mean there wasn't sadness and grief and pain because the reality is our sin has consequences. And although God brings healing, I still had to deal with the consequences of my sin. Coming back to church too was incredibly easy, easier than I could have imagined. And I know that that's not everyone's story. But I had a very uplifting experience of church. The very first time I went in, the guy next to me who was so loving and friendly took me home to meet his family and have dinner with them. And I sat down with his wife, who was a spiritual director, and they really fast-tracked me back into Christian community. They never once focused on my behaviour but they focused on bringing me closer and closer to Jesus. Because the truth is, when we're in the presence of God, when we're close to Jesus, our behaviour does change. He shapes our character. He transforms us from the inside out. And he puts his finger on the things that he wants to refine. His motivation is always love. His destination is always life. And he does it gently. With him, it's always a beautiful invitation. It's not a demand. So for some of you today, you're mature Christians. You might have been in church your whole life. Some of you may be completely new to faith and you're just thinking about who is Jesus and and has he got something for me. But no matter what, we all make mistakes. And it says it in in the scriptures, in Romans 3.23, it says we all fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, thank you, Lord, that church is not about our good behaviour. It is about knowing a God who loves us regardless of our behaviour. Our dream here at Bay Vineyard is that everyone, no matter where they've come from or what they've done, can know the love of God, the transforming love of God, and they can be drawn closer and closer to Jesus. Our dream is that we together as a church can welcome people with open arms and we can run towards the throne of grace, that we together can let our mistakes and our failures propel us closer to God, not away from Him. One of my favourite verses in the whole Bible is Isaiah 44, 22. It says, return to me for I have redeemed you. And that was my experience That as soon as I came back to him, I realised it wasn't about what I did or what I do now. It was about what he's done and who he is. The reality is he's redeemed us. He's redeemed all of us. All we have to do is return to him. All we have to do is return to his heart. It's that simple. And that is the beautiful invitation that he has for all of us today. Hallelujah. So thank you.